so uh, it's good to see you all in the flesh. Good to see those of you guys. Well, I guess I don't see you, but thank you for joining us on Facebook. Um, yeah, sorry, I was trying to sneak into the shade a little bit, my bad. <laughs> so uh, today, I'm going to start a new series in the book of Isaiah. And, you know, just to kind of give you a little insight into the planning process, as, as we were laying out the preaching calendar, the thought did occur to me, where do you go after Easter? <laughs> right? Because Easter is such a climax, right? where we're celebrating Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world and him rising from the dead, overcoming the power of, of sin and death. Like it's, it's such an apex that it kind of just feels like wherever you go after that is sort of a letdown. I don't know. That was the thought that kind of came into my mind. I was like, where do we go next, right? And, um, you know, the more that I kind of thought about it and stewed in it, and I think that Pastor Elliot and Pastor Dave alluded to this last week, I think if we're being honest, there's always sort of a letdown, actually, to uh, Easter, which, okay, I better explain myself. That's a very controversial statement. Because again, like I said, Easter, it's, it's so epic, right? We, we celebrate Jesus overcoming the power of sin and death, that the chains are broken, new life is springing forth, right? This, this new freedom that we have in Jesus. And then we go home and we turn on the TV and we see all the, the horrors that are still happening in the world, right? We, we see there's still blood in the streets. We, we still see that there is abuse and, and um, exploitation. We, we see that children are still sleeping in cages. And so I feel like there is a, sort of this like letdown, right? There's sort of this tension of the, the expectations that we have uh, coming off of Easter and, and, and this good news of Jesus and then the, the realities sort of that we, we see in the world and continue to see in the world. And it's, it's just kind of so there's just sort of this letdown, right? And so in theology, I think we have a concept that tries to describe this tension that we feel, this, this uh, dissonance between our expectations and, and the reality. And we, we call it the, the now and the not yet kingdom of God, right? That there are aspects of the kingdom of God and the power of God that, that are here now and, and are very real and present now. But there are also aspects of this kingdom that has been promised that are not yet, right? That are not fully fulfilled yet, that we're waiting for when Jesus comes again. But again, I think if we're being honest, sometimes it could feel like, man, there's not much. It feels like it's almost all not yet. I don't know if you guys ever feel that way. And so actually, I think that... Um, this study in the book of Isaiah is actually the perfect place for us to go next. Um, because I think there's a lot in the experience uh, of Israel that can speak to our experience as the church today, right? This, this people that was chosen by God with, with the promises of God on them, yet so often the reality of their experience fell short of the expectation and the promises on them, right? Because I guess it's not that it's not that surprising when we see that this, the world that doesn't know Jesus and is not following Jesus, it's not that surprising to see that they're still walking in darkness. But I think the, the real letdown actually is when we see that there's still so much darkness uh, in the church, 
and there's still so much darkness even within ourselves. That, I think, is the, the tension. And, and I think that the experience of Israel has so much that it can speak to us uh, and, and is so relevant to us. And so that's kind of where we're going to go here with our conversation um, in the book of Isaiah. So we're going to go Isaiah chapter 1 today. By the way, the, the series in Isaiah, we're not going to go through the entire book. This is just Isaiah volume 1. We're going to do the first nine chapters uh, because, you know, it's like 60-something chapters or something like that. Isaiah chapter 1, and it, it's up here. I'm going to try to read it off of the board as well. So Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. I think that's verse 9. So, I don't know what version that is, but it's a little bit different version than what I read, but it's cool. <laughs> so the, the, the first thing we see here is, okay, so Isaiah, he was a prophet who God called to preach, to speak forth his message over this divided kingdom of Israel. And what we need to know about where Isaiah, or what, where Israel is at at this point in history, they're basically kind of at the end of God's rope for them. And what I mean by that is since the, the period of the, the high kingdom, right, the, the great kings, King David, King Solomon, Israel had been in this long decline into uh, immorality, into idolatry, into corruption. And so by the time we get to this point in history when Isaiah is preaching, uh, they're at the end of that rope and, and they're coming to the end of that time that God had been warning them. And we're talking about over hundreds of years, God had been warning them. He had been calling them to repent, come back to me, come back to the things that I've called you to, come, come away from uh, idolatry, come away from your corruptions. And he had been warning them over and over over again for hundreds of years. And he had been warning them that if you don't turn back to me, eventually my judgment is going to fall. Right? I mean, talk about patience. <laughs> hundreds of years God had been calling him, them back to himself. And it kind, of, it, it kind of reminds me of parenthood a little bit, right? Like, you know, so I, I have a daughter at home and, uh, you know, sometimes she just doesn't want to do the stuff that we ask her to do, right? Like, okay, it's time to brush our teeth, right? And, you know, just some days she just doesn't want to do it for whatever reason. And, you know, I, you know, try to 
tell her again, okay, we got to brush our teeth now. We got to make sure our teeth stay clean and stay healthy. But, you know, sometimes she just really digs in her heels and just does not want to do it. And, you know, so I, I know eventually, right, if I'm going to be a good parent, there have to be like consequences at some point, right? It's like, okay, if you don't brush your teeth, then we're not going to have time to, to read books tonight, right? And, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of laying out what the consequences are, but, you know, honestly, I don't want to give her consequences. I don't want her to lose her books, right? So I try to give her as much rope as possible. I try to give her as many warnings as I possibly can, like, okay, you know, if, if you don't listen again, we're, we're not going to be able to read books, and that'll be really sad because I want you to be able to read books, right? You know, I, I don't want you to miss out on this, right? And then, you know, you just keep getting, giving her as much rope as possible. Give her every opportunity possible to listen. And at some point, you know, even at the very end, it's like, okay, if, if you don't listen this time, you're not going to be able to read books, and I don't want that to happen. That would be very sad. I'll be sad if we don't get to read books tonight. So please brush your teeth. Okay, I'm going to count to three. And if I get to the end of three, then you are not going to get to read books tonight. And I count all slow, right? One, two, right? And so there's almost just like this, like, I want to give her as much chance to listen as possible. And I, I'm like, you're only hurting yourself. Like, why won't you just brush your teeth, right? You do this every night. And I feel like there's a little bit of that kind of parenting in, in God, that he's been warning Israel over hundreds of years. He's giving them as much rope as he can possibly give. He's giving them every opportunity to realize the error of their ways and to come back. And he's been warning them of the consequences that are going to come. And, it, and there's this kind of this sense, if you, if you recall from the verses that we read, there's this sense of like, you're only hurting yourself. Like, why are you continuing on this course? But by the time we get to Isaiah and this period in, in Israel's history, the time is up, right? And the consequences are going to come. The, the reckoning is coming. That's basically what he's saying here, that God's judgment was going to fall on them, and it was going to fall on them in the form of exile. That kind of this, this hedge of protection that God had always placed around Israel, that he was going to remove that hedge. And these foreigners were going to come in and basically uh, take them out of their land, to conquer them, to destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and that they were going to be scattered into all the nations. That was the consequence that he had warned them about for so long that finally the reckoning came and it was time. And so God judges his people finally. Now, if we read on, now we see that God gives his people this reality check, okay? So we're going to read verses uh, 10 through 15. So 10 through 15, here's the reality check. Hear the word of the Lord. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or, or lambs or, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has acquired of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assemblies. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And so here's the reality check that God gives to his people. First, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah, cities that were destined for judgment and destruction. And, you know, I want to reread to you some of the things that he said about them and to them. And, and this is actually coming from the NIV version, the version that I kind of read, that I feel like is actually even a little bit more clear. This is what God said to them. This is the reality check that he gave to them. He said, all this stuff that you bring to me, all this worship, I have no pleasure in it. Why do you keep bringing me these meaningless offerings? I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your celebrations I hate with all my being. Your celebrations I hate with all my being. You offer, or when you spread out your hands to pray, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. That's a reality check right there. That he's like, it's got to the point where I am annoyed by your worship. You guys, you guys think you're good. You come and you, you sing your songs and you say your prayers and you've got the Torah and, and you do the sacrifices and you think you're good. I can't stand to look at it anymore. It, I hate them, actually, when, when you assemble. That is a reality check. And he says, when you're praying, I hide my eyes from you. I'm not even listening anymore. I mean, it's shocking, actually, to hear God say that to his people. Shocking. Why so harsh, God? Why such anger? Well, verses 15 through 23. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice, Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your choice wine is diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. And I think that's it, right? So what is the reason for God's anger? Why is he why is he so enraged with them that he can't even look at them anymore? That, that their worship has become an offense to him. He doesn't even listen to their prayers anymore. And he makes it pretty clear. He says, your hands are full of blood. He says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. He says, see how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She wants she was once full of justice. Your rulers are rebels, partners with thieves. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not 
come before them. I mean, God makes it pretty clear here. The reason why he is so utterly disappointed in them, the reason why he can't sit through another one of their meaningless services or listen to another one of their songs or prayers is because they do these things all while ignoring justice and the plight of the oppressed and the vulnerable and the suffering. You know, when I read, when I read this, I couldn't help but think of a video that I had seen uh, of the Capitol riots. And so we, we do have the video. Hopefully we have sound because the sound is the most important part. But um, I just want to show you this one quick video of, of some of these, uh, um, the mob that got into the Senate chamber. I don't know if you guys have seen that video, but it's pretty uh, disturbing, right? Pretty, pretty, pretty shocking. And, you know, obviously this is an extreme example, but still, I think, indicative of some of the, the toxic, offensive, tragically confused things we see plaguing the church, right? And so here's the thing. I, these, these words that we've read, right, these sentiments like your, your worship is an offense, it's meaningless, um, you know, I think these are all thoughts that, that we've thought, that many of us have thought, that many people have thought. They're, those thoughts are not new. Those thoughts are not surprising. But I, I, do think, I do think that it's important for us to recognize, because even though many of us maybe have thought those thoughts and had those feelings, like how dare these people think that they're all good because they, they, have, they read their Bibles and they, they sing their songs and they, they go to their services. And how dare they think that their worship is acceptable just because of that with all these other, you know, all these other just disgusting things that they, they mix into the faith. Like, even though I think many of us have already felt those things and thought those thoughts, I think, and this is a no-brainer, but I, I feel like it's important for us to see that God, with his own words, <laughs> expresses that same outrage, right? That, that he is enraged by that, that he is disgusted by that, that 
he is so tired of, of people coming and thinking that they're okay because they have their Bible and they, they sing their songs and, and say their, their prayers and they, and they can have all these other things. Like he's, he's so utterly tired of that that he's not even listening to them anymore. Right? I, I think it's important for us to hear God say that with his own words, with his own voice. You know, because I think there's a lot of people, and some of us here today even, some of, some of you who are listening on Facebook who are so disappointed by some of the things that you have seen uh, do, done by people who bear the name of Jesus and, and by institutions that bear the name of Jesus that you are like so close to just walking away from all of this stuff. I think there's a lot of people out there, and a lot of you maybe even, we're just so close to like, I'm done with, I'm just, I'm done with this stuff. I'm done with this faith. I'm done with any of, any of this stuff. I, I feel like there's a lot of us who are so close to getting to that point. And so I feel like for you, if that is you, you, you need to hear God say today with his own words, in his own voice, that he is not okay with these things. That he's not just like, yeah, they're good because, I mean, at least they read their Bibles and they go to church and they sing their songs and they give their, their offerings. But God is just as actually more enraged by those things. And that at some point, you better believe that a reckoning is going to come, even on the house of God, on those who would make a mockery of his name. But, an important but here, before we get too high and mighty, before we start feeling ourselves too much, don't make the, don't make the mistake of thinking that we can't also fall into the exact same place. And so this is the reason why they were going to be judged, because they ignored justice. All right, let's just look at, I, I have no idea how I'm doing on time, so... I always go over time. If, if you guys are new here, I always go over time, my bad. But uh, let's go into the last part of chapter 1. Uh, chap, uh, chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. I'm trying to read fast. Therefore the, Lord, the Lord, therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, Ah, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. And actually, just for time's sake, I think we, we get this. Uh, the final piece of this chapter, I think, is what I'm calling the refining. The refining. So judgment will come, declares the Lord. But I want you to see that God's heart for his people has set on judgment for over them see that god's heart and intention are not to destroy them but to refine them that's important that even in the midst of this judgment still there is this light of hope and in, in verse 25 he said i will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove your impurities right the, the imagery here is a the imagery of refining Right, that when you have metal and it has these impurities mixed in it, the only way to, to purify that, to remove those imperfections and those imp impurities is to put it under heat, right? to, to melt 
the imperfections and the impurities away so that you can reveal the precious stone, reveal the, the precious stone within. But the only way that you can bring that about is by putting it under heat, by putting it to the fire. And so this imagery here is not God giving up on them, but it's, it's God wanting to refine them, God wanting to continue pursuing them. And, and if it takes putting them under heat, if it takes bringing judgment on them, if it takes pressing them, whatever it takes to remove those impurities so that they can become the people of God that they were intended to be. Right? But he's not giving up on them. He has no intention of just destroying them, but God is actually drawing them to himself even more. His heart is not to abandon us, but to mold us and to shape us in the form and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So let, let, me, let me try to start to bring this down. There, there's so much. There is so much here that is relevant for us today. Uh, if you're here today and you're just about ready to give up on the faith, you're about ready to just walk out and walk away from, from this whole thing because you just can't stand the thought that Jesus is okay with all of the hypocrisy and all of the arrogance you've seen in so many of the groups and institutions that claim Jesus' name if that's you, know that Jesus is even more enraged and disgusted when his people make a mockery of his name and of his glory. Here it is from his own mouth today how grieved he is. And know that God will not be mocked and the reckoning will eventually come. But, again, before we start feeling ourselves too much, before we get too high and mighty, we, we could just as easily be in that same place. Right? If we think we're good because we've got the Bible and we've got our services and we sing our songs and we say our prayers, but we ignore justice. Right? We, we ignore the oppressed. We ignore those who are suffering. And the last thing that I'll say today, maybe you're here today and you're actually kind of more like me. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but um, I have this weird thing where I have this tendency to push away from things that are too trendy. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not even saying it's a good thing, but I just, for whatever reason, if something gets too trendy or too popular, I just have this weird tendency to just kind of push away from it. I don't know why. And uh, again, I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing, but I just have this like inner naysayer in me for some reason. Uh, I haven't even seen Hamilton yet, guys. <laughs> I can't tell you why, but I just, you know, that, that's just me. It's just something inside of me. And I have to be, if I'm being totally, totally honest, I think I've been a little bit uncomfortable with how much we in the church are talking about justice and talking about peacemaking. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. That's just me, right? And I think what is, has been uncomfortable for me is that there's a little part of my brain that wonders, like, are we just being trendy? <laughs> are we just trying to kind of follow the, the, the fad, you know? And there's just that inner nays nays naysayer is going to naysay, right? You know, there's that inner naysayer in me that's just like, are we just being trendy? And so for me, and if you're like me, it's so important for me to see and know that long before Black Lives Matter or Asian Lives Matter, long before... George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, justice, justice for the oppressed 
the widow, the orphan, those who are vulnerable and powerless was trending in the heart of God. Right? That us having more conversations around these things is not us following a trend, but actually us trying to go back to the start. And if actually if we're following anything, uh, we're, we're following the, the lead of Jesus. And so I don't know if anybody else needs to hear that. That's something that I need to hear because I feel like I'm way behind in all of this, these conversations, to tell you the truth. But let's take Jesus' lead here into this conversation and follow him wherever he wants to lead us in. Let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you so much for just this message from the book of Isaiah. We're just getting started. And thank you that we can learn actually from the experience of Israel who, who had all the promises, who, who, who all the, the expectations were there, but the, the reality that they lived so often fell short. And we, man, we can identify with that. Lord, help us to... Um, speak against the hypocrisy that we see in the church, but Lord, help us not to become those same hypocrites. And Lord, uh, as we draw deeper into this conversation, this conversation that didn't just start with you know, social media, but started from the beginning, from your heart, this, this conversation about justice, peacemaking, caring for the oppressed, the vulnerable, the powerless, Lord, help us to, to follow your lead into this conversation. And Lord, I just lastly, I just pray, if there's anybody here who's just, just almost just so ready, just, just about ready to walk away from all of this, Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice clearly this, this morning, that these things grieve your heart, that you're not okay with some of the, the disgusting, horrible things that, are, that people are doing in your name. And Lord, may they... May they latch on to you and your heart and not what they see in those who don't represent you. So we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jay, for uh, such a wonderful, thought-provoking and challenging uh, message. And um, as you can tell, uh, some of the core... Uh, values of our church is that uh, we're a Bible-believing church, you know, and at the same time, we're a social justice church, we're a lament church, we're also a celebration church, and I feel like this upcoming series on um, uh, Isaiah, which is very much kind of the brainchild of, of Pastor Jay, uh, as we were kind of uh, thinking through and praying through together, um, I think a couple months ago at Craig Park about some of the teaching directions for our church this coming year. I feel like this series on the book of Isaiah is such a good context and illustration of all these different um, values of our church all at once. And one of the things that we've reflected on is how little books like Isaiah are being preached in contemporary churches. It's still part of scripture, but it feels like we tend to... Um, uh, kind of uh, over-preach certain parts of the church and under uh, of, of scripture and under-preach other parts of scripture and uh, and for for us as a Bible-believing church, part of the way we want to live that out is to preach all of scripture, even those uncomfortable ones that might have something still very important for us uh, to hear. And one of the things that I reflected on and I received from Pastor Jay today 
is this idea that the work of justice, the work of lament, and the work of worship and uh, celebration, that these are all paradoxical. They don't cancel each other out. We're not either this or that. That in the eyes and value system of God, we actually need both. Because if we worship without caring about justice, if we worship and celebrate without lament, then from the eyes of God, we run the risk of that worship not really being valued by God in the first place. And the other thing that I received from Pastor Jay today is this idea that this work, uh, this, this work of lament that we engage in, it's relating to not only the evil and the ongoingness of death in the world, but also the evil and the ongoingness of death even in the church. And not even that, but the evil and the ongoingness of death in us. So we are not uh, just a city on a hill uh, uh, with, with just celebration after celebration as if we have nothing that we are contributing to in terms of the darkness and the ongoingness of death in the world. So that includes the world, the church at large, as well as us as well. Um, so in that vein, I want to invite you to uh, bring out your communion elements as we remember Christ's death on the cross. And we'll start with uh, the taking of the bread. So I'll give you a few moments to pull this out. And I'm having trouble pulling this out. And I'm still having trouble pulling this out. It's that little purple film on the very top. Okay, it looks like you guys are more coordinated than I am, which is a good thing. Okay, here you go. So this bread is made from many grains, from many fields, yet was formed into a single loaf. In the same way, we are from many cultures and many places, but we are one body. The communion is a reminder that the body of Christ was broken so that we would be made one with him. The body of Christ broken with you. Let's respond with the following. The body of Christ broken for me. And also the juice of this cup contains many vines made by many hands, yet it pours freely. In the same way, let us pour ourselves freely just as Christ modeled for us. May we be generous givers of our grace, mercy, and blessings to you. Let's respond with the following. The cup of Christ poured out for me. And then finally, let's respond together with the following and reflect as, on the elements as we wrap up our time together today. Though we partake now from a distance, we long for the day to partake together in person. And though we partake now with partial satisfaction, we long for the feast at the eternal table in the presence of God. Uh, let's pray one more time. Lord, we, uh, as we remember your death uh, on the cross and your resurrection, we enter into this paradox of celebration, of praise, and of lament, and of a striving and longing for justice. 
Um, we look to the injustice in the world that led you to dying on the cross in the first place. And we hold on to that as we bear witness to the ongoingness of injustice here in our country, as well as uh, throughout the world. And in that context, we remember your sacrifice uh, for us. And in that context, we invite you to teach us, to guide us, to hold our hands as we uh, seek to be your hands and your feet uh, in this world as uh, it continues in it, the ways of evil and injustice as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So um, before we formally wrap up today, I just want to acknowledge uh, some of the social dynamics that are happening in our, uh, in our church even today. I, I think the best way I would describe this is it kind of feels like uh, junior high again, where we just returned from summer break and everything's kind of awkward, like we haven't seen each other for a while. Um, that was just three or four months, but now it's actually about a year and a half to two years. Um, and uh, part of that awkwardness, I think, when I was in junior high, I would uh, express that by just maybe um, retreating a little bit socially and just kind of hanging out with one of my best friends. And my best friend in junior high is my best friend since third grade, a guy named Paul. We just like hang out all the together, in, all, uh, together all the time. And, um, and I just want to acknowledge that awkwardness and acknowledge those kind of natural social tendencies. And as we kind of continue to meet, I want to encourage you all, encourage all of us to kind of press into that awkwardness so that we can um, uh, be more inclusive, that we could expand our family of God, and that uh, we could really get to know each other, especially those of us who are new and those of us that we haven't seen uh, for a while. So in addition to catching up with your old friends and working through that awkwardness, let's also enter into the other awkwardness of incorporating other people into our awkwardness as well, so we can all just be awkward together. This is kind of maybe a value of our church in addition to being Bible-believing and justice-believing. We're also very awkward at the same time. <laughs> so blessings, and uh, see you guys next week.